Good morning, everyone. It is good to see all of you. And we're going to try to get some modern technology going here. I don't know what's behind me, but okay. So far, so good. And uh, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, uh, we've been going back uh, over some of the messages that were shared, the keynote messages that were shared at the REACH conference. Uh, we've reviewed uh, REACH UP, REACH IN. Today I'm going to talk about the, the closeout message which was done on that Sunday by, by Frank Kim. And the title of that message was Within REACH. Uh, within REACH. And uh, it basically talks about how uh, God wants to work through our families to win the world. So we're going to talk about that uh, some uh, this morning. Uh, it, it was a, a very encouraging message. And really, as I've gone back through the messages, obviously I take things and I, I put them in my own thoughts and add some scriptures. Uh, Frank didn't cover all these, these scriptures that I'm going to look at today. But prayerfully, it will uh, give you a vision as to how God can work in your family uh, to help accomplish his will to win the world. So let's pray together and then we'll jump into the message. Uh, God and Father in heaven, thank you so much for your love for us. Father, I pray we can remove all distractions from our hearts and minds right now and uh, allow you to speak to us, God. We know that you have a message for us, that there, there are just things that you want us to see about you, to see about the lost, to see what you've called us to be, both individually and as a church, so that we can spread the good news of, of Jesus Christ to so many lost souls. Uh, be with us. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Within reach, uh, the title of the message. And uh, Frank, in his, in his message, one of his main points was uh, that God works through generational missions. And he, he focused on at least one scripture in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy chapter, I'm going to get this down, Deuteronomy 6, scripture that we all are familiar with. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands I give you today are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. This is how God planned to send his message throughout the world. From one generation to the next generation. Parents setting the example for their children and passing on God's commands uh, to, to, to them. And then they would pass it on to their children. And, and that's how God wanted to spread his decrees, his commands, and his laws throughout the world where it would touch every soul. And in many ways, that is still God's plan today, is that as we receive the gospel, we pass it on to our families, to our children, who pass it on to their children, and in that way, Jesus is spread throughout the nations. And the greatest command, as we all know, is what? To love the Lord your God, you can help me out, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second, obviously, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, Frank made the, 
of a very key point that the greatest command is the greatest plan. The greatest command is the greatest plan to teach your kids to love the Lord their God, for you to love the Lord your God, and then for us to spread that on to others as we come in contact with them, starting with our own families. Now, God has that plan, and Satan knows what God's plan is. Satan knows that God wants us to take the good news that we've received and first pass it on to our children and then prayerfully be able to give it to our neighbors and on and on. But Satan works overtime to keep our children from coming to Christ. He wants to destroy the family because he knows if he destroys the family that he hinders the gospel from being spread throughout the world. And it shouldn't surprise us that we have such challenge when it comes to family. Because that's where Satan puts his stake in the ground and says, I'm going to do all I can to destroy your family, to wreck your marriage, and to lead your children astray. Because if I lead your children astray, that will break your heart and discourage you and dishearten you and, and maybe you'll just quit. And give up hope. So he works so hard to destroy God's plan, which is for our children to be saved. And for our neighbors to be saved. And for this generational plan to work to get the gospel to every heart. Satan is angry. In Revelation 12... In verse 9 it says, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. He was in heaven at one point, and because of his pride and his arrogance, he had to be thrown out. In verse 12 it says, Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. He's angry. He's incensed. And he said, I'm going to go after your family. I'm going to go after your marriage. And he's trying to attack the foundation of which God has built and, and laid forth to spread the good news. He's trying to, to separate our families. He's attacking husbands. He's attacking wives. He's attacking our spiritual values through the school system, through the government, where no longer do, do our kids pray in school. No longer is husband and wife the, the, considered the, the marriage example of, of family. But now we have same-sex marriage and all these other things going on, and this is Satan's attempt to wreck and destroy what God has built. And I'm here to tell you today that we're not going to stand for it. That we're going to go back to God's word and we're going to fight for our families. He's going after us, but he cannot win. And so we've got to decide, as Nehemiah told the Israelites in Nehemiah chapter 4. And really I've got two points here. Nehemiah 4. I don't have time to read all of it. 
But Nehemiah tells the Israelites in verse 14 of, of this chapter, after I looked over things, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. That's what Nehemiah tells us, that we must fight for our families. He goes on, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for you. See, we've got to decide today that I'm going to fight for my children. I'm going to fight for my marriage. I'm going to fight to get my husband to come to Christ. I'm going to fight to be in there with my wife and to be a good husband. We've got to make that decision today. And then he tells us, he says, if you will fight for your family, God will fight for you. That's what he said in Nehemiah. In Nehemiah 4, verse 19, Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. Nehemiah told his people, don't get off the wall. You stay on the wall. You keep building that wall. And we need to keep building God's church. But in order to do that, we must fight for our families. And this is not a, a physical fight I'm talking about. This is a spiritual warfare. A spiritual battle. And we've got to go after this because if we don't, Satan will take away our children. And he'll wreck our families and destroy our marriages. And we won't be able to give glory to God and fulfill God's plan. So let's talk for a few minutes. How do we fight for our families? How do we fight for our families? Are you with me? Are you with me there? Are you ready to, to stand up and fight for what's right? Are you ready to fight for your children? To fight for your marriage? To fight to make it what God wants it to be and what it needs to be if we're going to get the Bronx one for Jesus, if we're going to get Harlem one for Jesus. There's really no greater testimony of God's love and God's power than a united family in Christ. What a marvelous tool, an example of God's power. So how do we fight for our families? Number one, we raise our children in the training and instruction of the Lord. We raise our children with the Word of God. And dads, we're to lead the way with this. We're to be the spiritual leaders of our families, to pray with our children, to share with them the Word of God. And really, more important, more important than sports, more important than teaching them to drive, more important than making sure that they get a good education, is to make sure that they know God, that they love God, that they fear God, and I'm afraid some of us, we say we want to fight for our families. But we put school and sports before church. And you can't do that. That's not fighting for your family. You'll lose that battle. You'll lose that battle. The priority has to be, I want my kids to be in the kingdom of God. And if that means they can't attend some sport activities then that's the sacrifice they're going to make because in the end, it's going to be more important that they're in heaven than that than, than they have a, a degree. 
or that they achieved something as far as athletics is concerned. And I don't think we're really there yet. We're not really there yet. Because a lot of times we're looking at the world and we envy the world in these things. And we don't, and we wonder why our kids are not seeking first the kingdom. You know, our, some of our kids are going to camp today. Not all of them are. But we always made sure that our kids went to camp. Because it's a great opportunity for your, your child to, to get away from all the hustle and bustle of the world and to focus on being with disciples and to focus on God. If you want them to be saved, you've got to make those sacrifices and fight for their salvation, fight for their soul. Teach them to love God. What priority is the church in your home? What priority? Before I became a Christian, the only time all of my family was ever at church at the same time was for a funeral. After I became a Christian, my family was at church every Sunday. And that continues to be the standard. We've got to raise our children in the training and instruction of the Lord and teach them that God is first. Number two, we set the example. We've got to set the example for them. We can't just talk about church. See, it's more important. Not that It's important that you bring your children to church. But it's even more important that you take the church to your children. So you just can't just come and say, well, you know, we, we, we go to church and we meet with the church. Look, the church meets at my house. The Bible says wherever two or three are gathered together, I'm there with them. Is church at your home? Is church in your home? Is God in your home? Do our children see us in the Word, see us in prayer? Do our children see us wrestling to be right with God? Or do they hear us being critical of the church, critical of disciples? Do they see that we love the, love the Lord and we love the church? That we're going after godly relationships? That we're here to wash feet, to serve? Jesus said, I've set you an example to his disciples that you should do as I have done. We've got to be that example for our children. When your children are young, when they're young, they do what you say. But when your children get older, when they get past 15 or so, they do what you do. When they're old, they do what you do. When they're young, they do what you say. What are we doing? Are we setting the example for them? I'm thankful for the families that set those examples. Some of you singles might be thinking, well, how does this apply to me? Well, we need you to set the example too. We need you to be steadfast in your faith. So that when people do stray, they can come back and see a group of singles who are still committed to God and holding up the standard of God. There are going to be people that leave, but what are they going to come back to? I'm proud of those who stood strong, who stand in the gap, who don't compromise, because that tells them that, look, the church is still going to be here no matter what you do. But if you're all discouraged and disheartened and unhappy, then how are you going to help us? Get people restored to God. Man, I thank God for those sisters that were there for my daughter. Standing in the gap. Living righteously and faithfully. That, that moves my heart. That encourages me. Thirdly, we discipline our children. 
We discipline our children. You know, the world doesn't believe in this anymore. They say, just go have a good talk with your child. Some parents are trying to act like their kids are equal with them. We, we're, just, we're, we're just trying to be buddies. I tell you what, that's not going to work when they're spitting and biting people. Look, you, you, you gotta, you gotta, someone's got to dis- discipline those kids. Proverbs 22:15 says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Am I right, church? And it's bound up in our hearts too. But the rod of discipline would drive it far from them. Somebody's got to tell those kids no. Somebody's telling them, we're not, you're not going to do that. And if you do, the wrath of God is coming your way. Jesus said in Revelation 3, verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. If you love your children, discipline them. Don't sit there trying to, well, let's have a good talk. Let's reason about this. Johnny, you know what you did was wrong. You need to stop yourself. No, you need to stop him. Stop him dead in his tracks. We can't let our children raise themselves. We have to raise them. We can't let the school system raise our our children. The nonsense that they're teaching. We got to raise our kids in the training and instruction of the Lord. You know, Cynthia and I, when we were in Manhattan, we lived in Manhattan for a little while, and we went to a PTA meeting, and the first PTA meeting we went, we couldn't hardly get in there. Over 90% of the parents showed up at PTA meeting. And that's the difference a lot of times between schools that do well and schools that don't, the parents that show up at the PTA meeting. And... And so and my wife, when we were in Mount Vernon, she, she was the president of the PTA, so we, we know all the struggles of that. But then there was another meeting on sex education when the schools start deciding that they want to teach our kids sex education. So they had another meeting about that. Two families showed up. The Powells, and I don't know who the other family was. You see, families are more concerned about their kids' intellectual education than they are about their spiritual education. And we've got to make sure that we're not letting the school system teach our kids about sex. We're the ones that's supposed to teach them that. With the Bible as our standard. Do you agree with me there? Are you with me there yet? Our kids need guidelines. They need parameters. They need to know where the line is. You know, I know one one family was telling me that when their kid did wrong, he went to his parents and said, I need a spanking. I need a pow-pow. It made him secure, knowing that, look, there's a line to be drawn. I know not all of our kids are that way. But that was a special child. Do you know where your children are? Do you know where they are spiritually? Do you know, don't be naive. We can't be naive here. We need to know where our kids are. We need to be involved in our children's lives. You know, a lot of families, they tie up their dog at night and they let the children run loose. We can't let our kids run loose. God has called us to to lead them, to discipline them, and that is love. If you love them, you got to discipline them. Proverbs 19, 18, discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. This new age parenting. Children need parents, not buddies. 
My daughters understood that in my house I was dad, not their teddy bear. And I was there to guide them and to lead them. You know, look at, look at Eli. Here the Bible says he failed to restrain his sons. His sons out there doing all kinds of nonsense. And he did not step in and say, you need to stop this or there will be consequences. We have to restrain our children. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Moses went off to, to, to Mount Sinai for 40 days. When he came back, what condition were God's people in? If you leave people to themselves, they'll tear the place up. Destroy the place. One mother heard her kids in the room screaming, hollering, making all that noise. She went in there and go, what are y'all doing? They say, well, mommy, we're playing mommy and daddy. We need to set the example for them. And we can't discipline properly if we're not showing them the way. Let me give you some whole, cold, hard facts. These are sobering. We got nearly 3,000 members in the New York church. About 270 or 80 teens that are associated with family members. That means they're either yours or you're bringing them, their grandma, someone's bringing them to church. 17% of those teens are disciples. 83% of them are not. And I'm here to tell you, we've got to fight for our children. It won't happen just because we're coming to church. We've got to get involved. It won't happen if, if we don't assert ourselves. This is, this is serious. This is where Satan is trying to destroy what we're building right here with our teenagers, right here with our children. 83%? 83%? Who have not made Jesus Lord? That concerns me this morning. That tells me the devil is winning and we're not. And I'm here to tell you this morning, it's time for us to fight for our families. Fight for your children. Take these things to heart. Why don't our kids want to be Christians? Why don't they want to be a part of our fellowship? We've got to look into this. And maybe we need to go back and apologize for a few things. Say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for losing my anger. I'm sorry for the bad example that I set. Please forgive me. But we've got to make that decision. I'm going to go after my child. I don't want to go to heaven and my children not be there with me. Fourthly, we've got to pray for our family. Pray for your children. Pray for them every day. Pray for your marriage. Pray for your relatives. Pray for your, for your grandchildren. Job, he offered up a sacrifice every day for his children. Basically, he said, he said, perhaps my children have sinned. Perhaps they've sinned and cursed God in their hearts. He said, I don't know if they have, but in case they have, I'm going to put a sacrifice on the altar for them. He went to the altar for his kids. Just like my wife went to the altar for our, our daughter. We've got to go to the altar for our children. We've got to pray for them every day. 
every day at the top of your list. Pray for all your grandchildren. Pray for your husband. Don't just nag him. Pray for him. Get down on your knees and you call on Almighty God to bring about change in his heart. Pray for your wife. Pray for her. That's how we battle. The Bible says that that's a part of our spiritual armor. That we're to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. With all kinds of prayers and requests. Prayer is powerful. The prayer of a righteous man, the prayer of a righteous woman, is powerful and effective. Prayer can change things. Prayer moves God, and God can move mountains. Fifthly, we got to build strong marriages. That's how we fight for our kids. We build strong marriages. Now, the number one lesson, at least the first lesson in almost every parenting workshop is that the best thing you can do for your kids is to love their mom, to be close to your husband, to set them example. Proverbs 31, 10, and this is a great scripture. A good woman, the Bible says, is hard to find and worth far more than diamonds. Oh, thank God I found me one. And you need only one. Can handle only one. But a good one is hard to find. Am I right, husbands? You better do better than that, brothers. Is a good woman hard to find? Amen. Praise God. Praise God for that. But let me tell you something. A good man is even harder to find. And you got to start your marriage on a good foundation. A good foundation. My wife was selling this, sharing this analogy with me uh, the other day about how what happens when couples put sex, when they, when they have sex before they get married. And she said she would listen to this lesson, and it was like taking the, the glass. You know, you, you try to, it's try, you're trying to build a house without a foundation. You know, you put up the walls first, and then you try to lay the foundation later. And we've got to understand that's not how you build a strong marriage. You lay the foundation first, and the foundation has to be Jesus Christ. The foundation has to be purity according to God's word. The foundation has to be, as a man of God, I'm going to respect this woman, and I will not sleep with her because God commands it, and I love her until we get married. That's the foundation. That might be old school, but that's right school, and it's the only school that works. And you need to graduate from that school if you want to build a good marriage. Don't you let no man tell you that he loves you and that the only way that you can show that you love him is by sleeping with him. That's a fool talking to you. You need to say, get behind me, Satan. I want a marriage built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And if you're not willing to imitate Jesus, get behind me, Satan. Marriage is hard. You don't take shortcuts. You do it the right way. And we got to build strong. And a lot of us, you know, we jumped out there and we thought this was going to be easy. I'm spiritual. I'm handsome. I'm godly. I got it going on. Wait till this girl gets to live with me. And then you got in there and you found out, oh my God, this is one complicated human being. I didn't know it was going to be like this, Lord. And can you imagine what your marriage would be without Jesus as the foundation? 
You know, some of us, we're going through marriage struggles right now. And we're tempted to give up. We're tempted to, to shrink back. We're tempted to say, well, this is just the way it's going to be. And I'm here to tell you today, you got to fight for your marriage. you got to decide we're going to deal with this conflict. We're going we're gonna to do what Paris said in the communion message. We're going to forgive each other and move on. We're not going to stay stuck in a rut here. Build your marriage. Who's standing in the way? Nobody but you. Listen to what your wife is trying to tell you. Be like Jesus. Ask for her forgiveness. And treat her like a lady. You love her and she'll love you silly. You take care of her, she'll take care of you. I know that. I've experienced it personally. She'll take care of your every need. And you'll gain 10 pounds every year. Because she's offering up, not burnt offerings to you, but pleasant offerings of, of great meals. Look at Paris, how much weight he's gained the last few years. You can't build your marriage on looks. You can't build it on lust. You can't build it on desperation. This is the last man. I gotta have somebody. He's better than nobody. No, he ain't. Not if you ain't love, in love with him. And not if he's not spiritual. I'd rather be single and lonely than be confined in some room with a fool. But we do need to help our single sisters help their dreams come true. That's a whole nother lesson. We build strong marriages. Let me get to my last point here. We fight for our families. We pray for them. We discipline our kids. We do the right thing. And what does the Bible say? God will do what? God will do what? God will fight for us. God will fight for us. God wants to fight. See, God can do things that you can't do. God can move hearts in ways that you can't. God will, will fight for our marriages, but we've got to go to God in prayer. We've got to decide that we're going to love unconditionally. That's what the whole story of the prodigal son is all about. That I'm not going to give up hope, but I'm going to keep on loving. I'm going to keep on expecting. We fight for our children saying, look, husband, wife, let's get our marriage together and show our children the difference that Jesus makes. God can do it. But we've got to do our part. God will work on our kids. He moves in mysterious ways. He'll work on them. Some of them might have to end up in a pig pen, like the prodigal son, but that's God working on them. Some of them might have to walk around in the desert for a few years until God breaks them down and they realize that they can't get it done out there in the world. Some of them may have to have their position and their power taken from them and maybe even their eyes gorged out like Samson. And I know you don't want them to get hurt. But God may have to take them all the way to the brink of death before they wake up and realize that they need him. But you keep praying for them. And God will work on them. They may have to be blinded on the road like Saul. 
before they can open their eyes and see their need for God. But you keep praying for them. You turn them over to God. You fight for them, and God will fight for you. He's working right now, even in ways that we don't imagine. Because a lot of times we want quick results. But God's working. You keep praying. You keep believing. You keep on loving. God promises as we come to a close that he'll bless us. In Deuteronomy 30, the Bible says, When all these blessings and cursings I've set before you come upon you, and, and you take them to heart, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God, and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortune. And have compassion on you. And gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. God says, look, you return to me. You come to me, I'll bless you. And I'll bless your family. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 11, he says, Now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's within your reach. It's not beyond your reach. To see your family come to God. It is not up in heaven so that you may have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so you may have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart so you may obey it. Obey it. Let me tell you something. Saving our children is within our reach. It's not beyond our reach. Because our God can do it. We fight for our families. He will fight for us. Building a great marriage. You may think it's beyond your reach. No, it's not. It's within your reach. But you've got to trust in God. Saving our children. Restoring our children is within our reach. But we've got to turn to God. I want you to say with me this morning, within reach. Within reach. Changing my marriage. Building a great marriage is what? Saving my children is what? Seeing my whole family go to heaven is what? So let's reach out to God and ask God to fight with us, to fight for us, because saving our families and saving this world is what, church? Within reach, God bless.